This is episode 247, featuring a behind-the-scenes coaching call with a runner named Brent, who started as a 340 marathoner and is now running 252. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode is a conversation between runner and coach. You'll hear me discuss the training background, racing history, and goals with a runner named Brent, who's a member of our team strength running program. A former football player, Brent started running marathons and quickly got addicted to progress. I can relate. We'll hear how he leveraged better training, smarter fueling, and aggressive pacing to improve by over 48 minutes in the marathon. If you're new to the Strength Running Podcast, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. I want to help you make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos on effective strategies to stay healthy, my favorite strength routines, training principles that will help you no matter your age, and more. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world improve with our award-winning blog, our free email courses on strength training, nutrition, injury prevention, and improving your mindset, plus all of Strength Running's training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. You can learn more about those at strengthrunning.com coaching. This episode is brought to you by Inside Tracker, one of my favorite companies that is investing heavily in the running community. They test your blood for dozens of biomarkers, so you know if there are any red flags with your physiology that might be holding back your training. Then they give you science-backed recommendations to improve anything that might be outside of your personal optimal ranges. Get 25% off any of their blood tests with code STRENGTHRUNNING at insidetracker.com slash Strength running. The code is strength running with no space, and all the details can be seen at insidetracker.com slash strength running. We're also supported by Tannery Outdoors, a sponsor from last year coming back on the show. They make reef-safe, cruelty-free sun care, and their products are made by runners for runners. The packaging is sustainable, and they even offer refills for some of their products to pass on the extra plastic. You can now get 10% off with code Jason at checkout at tannery.com. That's T-A-N-R-I.com. And the code Jason does not have to be capitalized. Our guest today is a runner named Brent. He's a member of our team strength running group. And this kind of success story is one of my favorites. You see, Brent wasn't always a runner. He was a football player and a baseball player who only started running later in life, but soon fell in love with the process of training and seeing his performances get better and better. We're going to talk about the most important aspects of his training that led to a 48 plus minute improvement in the marathon. He started with a 340 marathon and just last month in Boston ran 252 on its notoriously difficult course. If you have high aspirations as a runner, you'll love this episode. And if you want to learn more about team strength running for yourself, go to strengthrunning.com slash join. Without further delay, please enjoy my coaching call with Brent. All right. Hey, Brent, welcome to the podcast. Jason, appreciate you having me on. Well, I can't wait to talk about your running and how well it's been going lately and what led to all this recent improvement so that our listeners can get some of those fancy personal best for themselves too that you've been enjoying recently. So maybe uh, we can start with who you are. Give us some background on yourself first. How old are you? When did you start running? So yeah, no, well, Jason, again, appreciate being on the podcast and just, uh, yeah, it's, you know, listening every week. It's, it's kind of surreal to be talking with you about my own running. Um, so yeah, Brentley, uh, live in Indianapolis and been running, you know, racing. And I, and I guess I don't, I don't know if the word competitive is the right way, but been running for about 10 or 12 years now. Um, 
you know, I think is, you know, just kind of giving even a little bit of longer history. I think I've started out like a lot of folks you've worked with where it's high school is, is baseball, football is kind of my background athletically. Um, and with baseball, especially it was kind of weird. We, my, the team that I played for in high school, we ran a ton and like I, there was a one practice I can remember where our coach made us go on like a seven mile run <laughs> and uh, I was not in the shape that I am now. And th- that seven miles was uh, pretty brutal, but I was also near the front. And so as I sort of prepped for my baseball season, I started in the summer to s- just run three or four miles here or there. And I was wearing, if you remember the the old pair of like Nike shock running shoes. Um, oh, yeah. Which were, <laughs> they, they are not as good as, as the vapor flies. I can, I can attest to that. Um, but started doing that in high school and was for no other reason, just to stay in shape. And so high school career comes to an end and go to college. And at that point, it's like, you know, being around a bunch of guys in, in in the dorms, like we were going to the gym every day, you know, lifting for an hour and a half, two hours, you know, the goal being to hook up. But I started running as part of that. And, you know, through college, I was not really a consistent runner. I probably would do, you know, a couple miles here or there, but I remember in my junior and senior year of college really starting to kind of enjoy running and doing three or four miles here or there. And I, I think as a lot of runners can probably attest to, it's like that three or four miles then turns into five, turns into six, turns into seven. And when I graduated college, I was kind of like, okay, what's next? I'm a competitive person. And so a friend of mine, uh, who was a cross country, uh, runner really good at my high school, we started running together and signed up for my first five mile race. And I can remember just, you know, it was an okay race. It wasn't, uh, anything to write home about, but I was like, okay, this is something that's, um, you know, something maybe I could get into ran my first half marathon, uh, about, uh, eight, nine months later. And I remember I went out in that half marathon at a 620 pace, my first mile. A little spicy. Lots of spicy. <laughs> and uh, I think I finished it, you know, a 148, which, I, you know, certainly I know is, is you know, a lot of people would have the goal to be able to run that. But I, I dropped big time from that first mile. And that was just the first experience of really trying to go into a race or understanding how the strategy of running can really play into things. And so I think from there, it just really began to dive a little bit more into the nuance of the sport and, you know, again, buying a GPS watch to help pace better. Um, started seeing some improvement in later races, but, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a really rough first experience for sure. I think a lot of runners have a really rough first experience with running because I certainly did. The first run I ever went on that was like a formal run with a team, it was a it was just a bloodbath. You know, I couldn't finish a 2.9 mile run and I felt like I had just been, you know, beat up by like four guys for a week <laughs> afterward. It was just such an experience. Um, now, I want to put this first half marathon of yours in this timeline that I have in my head of your progress. How long ago did that happen? So that would have actually been about 10 years ago next week, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. So you've been you've been getting interested in the sport and sort of kind of getting more and more involved in it over time. When was your first marathon? So before I get to that, I'll, I'll just say after that first half marathon, I think one of my first thoughts was how could anyone do this times two? <laughs> I just, <laughs> yeah. I was, I was miserable. I, but you know, uh, I, yeah. So the next year, so this would have been 2013. Um, and, and I don't know that this necessarily was the motivator for me to sign up for a fall marathon, but I, you know, I think like so many people was, uh, paying attention to Boston in 2013 and obviously the tragedy that unfolded and um, ran the same half marathon a couple weeks actually after Boston um, that year and had a much better experience. And I think, again, just a combination of getting better, um, just not going out at a 620 pace, but then also just realizing kind of what had happened at Boston, the, the, 
just what that race means. I, 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 that was kind of the, and I know we'll probably talk about this a little later, but that sort of was the initial seed of sorts that was planted in me that maybe one day I could run in that race. And so I signed up for my first marathon in Indianapolis, uh, the Monumental Marathon here, which is a, it's a great race, really flat course for that fall of 2013. And, you know, if I look at that race, I mean, it's, it's very much, it very much is a product of the training that I put in. The, the training was, it was consistent-ish. I was, uh, I, I played on a work softball team, uh, which took some focus away. I, you know, and, and also just, you know, frankly, it, it created more, you know, injury risk for me. And so I was never able to really get a lot of solid output from the training that I was doing. It was also not very sophisticated training. It was go out and run five or six miles a day and that's it. There was no, I I don't think I knew what interval training was at the time. I didn't know about hill workouts. I just thought if I run, I'll get better. And so the, that first marathon, I think, was, I, I ran a three forty pace, which I was, I, I you know, I think it's very typical. I got to about mile twenty and I died. Um, and I know from listening to to the podcast, you talking about your first marathon experience, it's very similar. And I think we all have that that experience that until you're humbled by the race, you don't fully appreciate what that distance means. And so I was happy, but I also was like, I don't know if I want to do this again, but. I had a friend of mine who had done Chicago Marathon, and so I entered the lottery a couple of weeks later for Chicago 2014. Got in, and so it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm, <laughs> I guess I'm going to do this again. Um, and ended up in 2014 running about 10 or I guess seven or eight minutes faster. I think it was like a 3:33 for that second race, and you know, I think the crowds of Chicago were. It, it was just such an exciting environment to be in. And I, I also can say that year that I was beaten by Elliot Kipchoge. Um, so, you know, <laughs> so always good to see, say you've been beaten by the, the greatest of all time, but it, that just kind of put a spark under me, um, you know, to hopefully get better. But, um, you know, I can go into this a little bit more. The next couple of years were, were not, the progress was not linear. Let's just say that. Yeah. As is almost always the case, not just with running, but particularly the marathon where you have a long, very difficult race, your results are going to be a little bit up and down. You know, it's not like, you know, I always like talking about the 5k and how runners can race a 5k every weekend. And if you have a bad race, honestly, who cares? Just go run another one the next weekend and you can still give yourself those opportunities. Whereas if you're training for the marathon, you sort of have to wait a while to run your next marathon, really respect that recovery process. And when you had emailed me recently, you had said, Hey, I ran this marathon Chicago in 2019. And before we get to your time at Chicago in 2019, We've sort of gone up through 2014, you've run about 333, and then you had, you know, some up and down races in the next couple of years. Let's talk a little bit about your progress from 2014 through 2019. We don't have to go through every single year, of course, but generally speaking, how many marathons did you run? What did your, what did your performances look like over time? Yeah, I, so really up through 2019, I was doing a marathon a year and it was always Chicago. It was just I kind of fell in love with that race and just the, the environment. It was, it was a big event feel. Um, and you know, 2015 race was again, another ho-hum kind of, it, it was sub four hours. I think I was like a three forty-eight or high three forties, which again, I realized a lot of people would kill to, to run, but 2016 is really, I think the race where I, you know, I, I maybe we'll spend a little bit of time talking about, it was a race where I actually started to incorporate some interval training started to do like 800s and that was really the extent of it. It really, really was no, no much more varied than that. And it wasn't like I was doing it in a strategic way. It was kind of like, okay, I feel like 800s today. So I put some good preparation in for that race felt good going into the race, but the week of the race, I would typically give up adult beverages just to make sure I was hydrated properly but if I went out to dinner or if I was sitting at home, I was like, I, I need something with flavor. And so I drank coffee <laughs> the entirety of the week leading up to the race. 
And so mile 16 of that, that Chicago marathon, I started cramping like no one's business. And so I went from having an okay race to very quickly being like, am I going to break four hours after, you know, having been able to see some progress being like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have my worst race up. And I remember it, it's still the only time I've had to do this, but at mile 21 in Chicago, I had to stop at an aid station. And, and obviously there's no shame in doing that, but I sat there and I'm just like, this is not what I want to be doing. I want to be flying to the finish. I want to be feeling as best I can in these last couple of miles. And so the next year I actually entered Chicago again, but on a charity uh, entrance and through that charity, I got a, a training program that had a lot more structure to it. And I started to, you know, I, I gave up some of the other extracurricular athletics, the softball that I was doing and really tried to focus in on just doing the work that, that I needed to do to, to, to improve and focusing on following that training plan. And that year in Chicago, I ran a three, uh, 31. So I took two minutes off of my PR, but I, that was from the prior year, I think a 27 or 28 minute improvement. And so that just kind of gave me some confidence that if I actually put the work in, I can see some gains. And so in 2017 or 2018, I'm sorry, I came back and in that fall marathon ran a 321 and it was one of those races where I felt pretty good the entire race. And, um, it was like, okay, I'm getting better. And then that brings us up to the 2019 race that you, you, you mentioned. And it was a, you know, ideal day uh, again, Chicago, sorry to be a, a, a broken record there. It was a 45 degrees and I, I went out and, at one point, again, my, my goal is to qualify for Boston in all of this. Um, that's kind of the driving force behind the, the work that I've been putting in. So I, in 2019, I'm kind of running and I, I see the three-hour pace group. And I'm like, and this is probably 10 or 15 miles into the race. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm actually hanging with what my goal time is. And, you know, it was one of those races where I still, I think near the, the end of the race had some struggles, but I was able to go from the, pro the prior year of 321 and I dropped my marathon down to a 308 um, and was super stoked. I was like, 2020 is going to be the year that I qualify for Boston. And <laughs> we all know what happened after that. And it, so it was, you know, a little bit delayed, but, you know, it was just exciting to see that progress and then sort of a little bit of a letdown hitting into, you know, March of 2020, realizing that there was a lot of doubt around the, the racing season. And, and, and honestly, I think that throws, you know, I'm sure for a lot of listeners that throws off, like how motivated you're going to be to train and how to, you know, put in the work for races that you don't know whether they're going to be happening or not because of the pandemic. Yeah, for sure. That threw a wrench into a lot of people's plans in 2020, for sure. And and I think it's so interesting hearing you talk about, you know, the, I think the 348 where you had to stop at the aid station and you're sitting down on that chair and you're thinking to yourself, I don't want to be here. This is the last thing I want to be doing. I want to be flying down the street. And then you go and run 308 two years later and you do have that experience where you see the three hour pacer ahead of you. You start thinking about possibilities, which is so exciting when you're in a race and you find yourself ahead of schedule and feeling good. And you start thinking, oh my, I might be able to do something really special today. And it just illustrates the two polar opposite mindsets that you can have with marathon racing. It's either going to be great or it's not, and you are going to be really struggling. And, and I think one of the hallmarks of a really good runner is someone who understands that and also just knows that those negative emotions that you were experiencing, you know, the, the kind of the defeatism of not being able to have the race that you wanted, that's just kind of part of the game. And if you can bounce back from that, you have a lot more improvement ahead of you. If you can just stay consistent, you can get your head on right. And you certainly did. So I want to talk about this 308 because you have gone from 340 to 308. That's more than 30 minutes improvement. We're talking like, you know, well over a minute per mile, which is very difficult for a lot of runners to do because it does require a shift in what they think is possible. So if you always think I run my marathons at eight minute mile pace or whatever, 
you're going to start getting into that groove where you're always settling into that same old pace. So let's talk about the training that you did before your 308. What gave you the confidence to go after such a big improvement at Chicago that year? You know, I'd followed some of the same work or the same workout plan really from, I think it would have been that 2017 year that I got the plan as part of a charity uh, group. And I kind of followed that each of the you know, subsequent years. And so really the 308, um, you know, it, you know, it incorporated a lot of different speed work and, and interval type, um, interval type running. And really, I think I just got to the start line and I just, it, it really wasn't about trying to set a certain PR. I kind of went out and just was like, I'm going to run what feels good to me today. And I remember, uh, that year running in the first mile, I saw the first, for the first time in my life in a marathon, saw my watch hit at the first mile marker at sub seven minutes. And I was like, well, I feel good. I know this is going to get bad at some points, but I might as well try and hang on as, as long as I can. And I was able to hang on through about mile 23 or 24. It's, you know, at either sub seven or right around a seven minute pace. And so it was one of those lessons. And I feel like the marathon is such a dance where you're, you are toying with the edge and, and I, I needed to sort of see where that edge was. And I eventually, I think it, you know, I, I lost a little bit each mile, um, you know, after 24, but what that taught me was with better fueling with a little bit more emphasis on some of the same training I had been doing, or even seeking out new opportunities for, for different ideas that could help ultimately push me to my goal, which was a sub three hour marathon and, and ultimately a BQ. And early 2020, I, I was able to kind of discover the, the work that you do on strength running. And um, I think I, I bought a high performance lifting plan uh, through strengthrunning.com literally as the pandemic was happening. And so I kind of had to sit on that for a while while, while gyms were closed. But the pandemic honestly offered, I mean, for, for all of us, we were trying to figure out sort of a way to survive this. And for me, that was, you know, being at home, I could still run. And at the time, I was also reading Running with the Buffaloes about uh, the University of Colorado team, which I know you probably have read and are familiar with living in, 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 in the Denver and Boulder area. And just the, the, the importance of volume that, that, that team sort of put into it. And obviously listening to podcasts, same thing. And so I'm like, okay, I just need to start running a lot more. And so throughout the the course of 2020, while I was working from home, I just up to my mileage more than I had ever done. Um, you know, it was, it was easy to sort of go out and do, you know, if I, if I was running a on a given day, I might be, you know, prior to the pandemic, it might be a six or seven mile, but that was maybe once or twice a week. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go do seven or eight miles each day and started to really up those weekly mileage totals and, and still incorporate the speed work into it because uh, obviously knowing what that had done for me and the progress, um, you know, the past couple of years. And, you know, really all of this was, was done with the mentality that like, I don't want to lose a year just because of the state of the world. And fortunately, we were able as runners to continue with our craft. And so really use that as the opportunity to, to really try to build a strong foundational base. Two things really stand out to me. Number one, I think you following a formal training plan before your marathon, where you had a lot of progress, getting that structure is really, really critical. And so I, I think a big point for our listeners is if you've been kind of running a little willy nilly, you're doing, you know, your own plan every week, and you're not really sure how to progress what you're doing, whether that's your long runs, your overall mileage, your workouts. I think following some type of structured program is, I think, one of the best things you can do for your running, because it gives you a structure to put around something that without structure is very amorphous. You know, you can run a little bit, you can run hard, you can run easy, but how do you know really what to do with all this running that we're supposed to be doing? What is the strategy behind it? What is the methodology to actually help you achieve the goals that you have? So I think the structure is, I think, a critical aspect to your improvement. And the other thing that I think is important before that 2019 race that you ran is, 
you know, you might have been doing similar training that you were doing before, maybe putting a, a little bit more emphasis on things, but you might have just had a year where maybe you, your stress levels were down outside areas of your life. Uh, you know, maybe just things worked out. You know, you got better sleep in the month leading up to the race and your diet was great and you didn't drink a pot of coffee every day before the race. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that probably helped a lot. Yeah. No, no. Well, the, definitely the pot of coffee. No, and, and even to your point about the stress, I, I had worked a very high stress job uh, up until the early part of 2018. Um, I was a public accountant, so tax season was always a challenge. And and when I left, that just gave me more time, um, just a little bit more flexibility in the day. And so, and to your point, the stress level was just a lot less. So after you ran the 2019 Chicago Marathon, you didn't run a marathon in 2020. Is that right? So I actually did. It, it was a virtual. It was virtual marathon for Chicago, uh, and that was honestly. I mean, I you know, obviously I want to talk about the races that, that, that I actually got to run in person with a lot of people in 2021, but the, the race in 2020 or the virtual race was honestly one of the biggest mental boosts for me that I did. I, I set up a course, you know, around Indianapolis and went out really with the goal of running a Boston qualifying time by myself. And so while, you know, I had to sort of hit stoplights and obviously would stop my watch, um, I still, you know, at least in moving time, ran uh, 2.55. And I was fortunate I had some friends who uh, rode bikes and ran with me throughout the course of that that time. But it was really proof to myself that I can do this now. That that sort of shifted the expectation from hopefully I can get close to, no, this is something I should be able to do. And so I think going into 2021, when then you and I got connected uh, for the tr the training plan for Chicago 2021, I think that's when sort of the the belief really started to kick in that no, the the goal of qualifying for Boston, going sub three, is is not just realistic, but should be very possible. Yeah, and if you can run 255 by yourself, I know you had some help from friends. They were on their bike, they were running with you, but you know, if you can run that by yourself, then that is a really good indication that you probably have more to give in an actual race environment where, you know, you have the crowds around you and they're, they're keeping you motivated and inspired. There's the announcer with the gun and all the fans along the course. I mean, there's something special about that. And I think the hormonal boost we get, you know, the anxiety, the excitement, all of that is kind of helps us get up for these big performances that we want to have. Um, now I, I do think all the stopping at stoplights probably let your heart rate come down. <laughs> you turn that marathon into a little bit of an interval workout, you know, yeah. two by half marathon at marathon race pace. <laughs> I, I will say, I, I will say that I think I was about a mile from the finish and I came to a stoplight and I was with my friend and I let, I let the light change twice. I will, I will say that I kind of cheated a little bit. <laughs> well, it's just a virtual race. Exactly. Now, the big race where you actually were able to put down an official time and get your official BQ was the following year at the Indianapolis Marathon, right? 2021. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and this is the marathon where we work together on a training plan for you. And um, this race, I mean, let, let's just kind of give away the secret right from the beginning. I think you ran 255 at this next marathon, right? So actually, I I think we originally, the, the plan that we had was for Chicago, uh, which was in October of last year, which I ran a 255 there in pretty bad conditions. It was like 70 degrees humid. And so I had signed up for the Indianapolis one just because who knew what the racing situation was going to be like in Chicago. And so in Indianapolis, then it was a cooler day, flat course, uh, and I ended up going out and running 253. Okay. So in, within this, within the span of a month, had had run those two marathons. Which, again, I, I ten years ago, if you told me I'd run two marathons in within four weeks of each other, I would said you're crazy. But um, I guess I'm the crazy one now. Yeah, I, I still might say you're a little crazy, <laughs> but in the best of ways. Yeah. So we worked on a plan for Chicago. I got the order of the races mixed up a little bit. So Chicago. You did run 255 in 70 degree weather. Uh, I, I, 
I melted in 65 degree weather at Boston one year. And so running your official 255 PR in those conditions is, is really impressive. Before we talk about the 253 that happened four weeks later, what would you, what would you say are the big uh, levers that we pulled in your training to, to get you to this new level of fitness where, you know, I think it was a 12 to 16 weeks before the race, we started training. What, what kind of things did I have you do that might've been different or maybe just were, were more emphasized in your training this time around? Yeah, I, I think one thing, and this was on a, I, I think it was even on a podcast before we started working together, I heard you talk about long runs and incorporating speed work into long runs. And I started doing that before we started working together. But that's more indicative, I think, of the wider sort of theme I want to hit on is that, that within the given workouts that you have, whether that's interval work, the, the long runs, which are at an easy pace, but you know, still significant workload, trying to figure out ways to strategically incorporate different pacing strategies or even different types of workouts into the same sort of overall um, exercise or workout was really critical to me. So obviously, you know, from a, you know, I think we did one day of speed work um, outside of, you know, the, the rest of the week. And that, that was, you know, most of the training was kind of what I was used to. Okay. So we had some mile intervals, but then um, got into some of the tempo runs. And I know when we talked, one of the, one of the best workouts, but also one of the most challenging is the five mile tempo run with 30 second surges to 5k pace at the end of each mile. And uh, I think you said to me when we had our coaching call that, that I would hate you for that. And I wouldn't say I hated you for that, but I definitely did not enjoy it. But it's also, and I, I was listening to the podcast that you, you just released too um, last week, that shifting gears in your running is really important because I think that can give you different tools to use and also just changes your own perception of what a hard effort is. And so those, while being really challenging also in a way start to shift your mentality about what fast is. Um, because for me backing down to, you know, a, a tempo pace from 5k, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm getting a little bit of a reprieve, but I'm still going at a good clip. The other thing, the other workout that I really enjoyed, and I will use the word enjoyed, especially as it relates to the races that I did was the tempo run. I think there'd be a two or three mile tempo run that then right after that, I'd go into hill repeats. And I think when we talked, it's you, you talked about how that would hopefully simulate those later miles of the marathon. And I remember very vividly in Chicago, having never really run a marathon fully where my pace didn't drop at some point, I remember thinking to myself, this is going to really suck. But I remember how that felt during the workouts where I would go into hill sprints right after the tempo. And so drawing on that experience, I think really helped me to sort of just realize like, it's going to be hard, but I have the ability to push through whatever issues you're dealing with in those last five to six miles of the marathon and, and, and ultimately finish strong. So I think you know, that's kind of a, a real philosophical level that there are workouts that physiologically helped, but they were workouts that also mentally shifted how I looked at, at the later stages of the, of the race. That's a really good point. And, and I think a, a helpful way to think about this is thinking about all of those gears, you know, the, the gears that you have available to you to run a little bit slower, a little bit faster. And you might've been talking about my conversation with uh, Elizabeth from the Running Explained podcast, we answered a bunch of pacing questions, and she had this great analogy where, uh, you know, the more advanced you get as an athlete, as a runner, the more gears you have available to you. So when you first start running, you basically have a single speed bike. And then by the time, you know, you're a much more advanced runner, you have all this experience, you have access to dozens of gears. And one of the reasons why I gave you that not very fun tempo workout with those surges in there is because you're a more advanced runner and can handle those surges and, and also just sort of understand them and know how to execute a workout like that. And, you know, I'll tell a little story because, you know, you talking about how you were motivated and almost 
you know, you were given a lot of confidence by some of these workouts and you remembered them in the race and drew strength from those workouts. I will never forget an indoor 3000 meter race that I was running in college. And it was right after a period where I'd hurt my foot and I was doing a lot of pool running workouts with a, a buddy of mine on the team. And I was about a thousand meters from the finish line. And in a 3k, that's where you really just start falling apart. And I did start, you know, faltering a little bit. And, and I've got my buddy who is still injured, but he's on the side of the track, just going bananas, yelling and screaming at me, telling me to, you know, pick it up. And he said something that I still haven't forgotten to this day. He said, you have done pool running workouts harder than this. And I just kind of had this epiphany in the middle of my race. Like, wow, I have. And those workouts were two hours long and I was running hard for a big chunk of it. And now I'm, I'm feeling sorry for myself when I'm in a race that's going to take me less than nine and a half minutes. I need to get my head on straight. And, and, I, and I rallied and I, and I finished and closed strong in that race. And it's funny how just this little mental switch, this, this ability to think back on your training and reflect on all those hard workouts on all those long runs and draw strength from them because you know that's where your fitness has come from so if you don't think you can do something just remember all those workouts you did you absolutely can do what you're trying to do uh, so i'm glad that really helped for you brent now i'm curious too what did you do in between chicago in Indianapolis, because you had four weeks, you've got to do some recovery, you've got to do some running to maintain your fitness. What did that look like? Because I didn't write you a training plan for this phase of time. Yeah, and I, I honestly didn't really know how to approach it. I, I mean, I think at a very base level, um, I, I just kind of felt like I need to get back to some sort of homeostasis before Indianapolis. Um, I should also say like in the midst of this, my, my wife, um, as we talked, cause we were actually leaving for our honeymoon the day after the Indianapolis marathon. And so there were a lot of conversations between her and I about how much I should push the marathon that I would be running uh, in Indianapolis or if I should switch to the half marathon. So, so all of this is kind of motivating me to be like, I want to run the marathon cause I think I've got more in the tank. And so I really did focus, I mean, to your point about recovery, it's, it, I think it was, there wasn't a whole lot of speed work in those intervening four weeks. There wasn't a lot of pushing it, even with longer runs. I mean, I might've gotten up on a long run to 10 miles just to sort of get back into that mental routine. Um, but really it was recovery. It was foam rolling. It was, um, you know, trying to just take care of any, you know, nicks or what have you that, that, that manifested during Chicago. And so, fortunately was able to get to the line in Indianapolis in pretty good shape. And it, it, you know, Indianapolis in early November, it was probably 30 degrees outside. So much better conditions than what we dealt with in Chicago. And so just realizing that I'm like, I, I want to go for something a little bit better. And another motivating factor was the fact that I, the, the, the race still fell within the window to run the 2022 Boston marathon. And so I didn't know what the field size was going to look like for Boston last year. They had obviously reduced the size because of the pandemic. My 255 in Chicago would have qualified me for every single or would have gotten me into every single Boston except for last year because of the reduced field size. And so I was like, well, if I can cut a couple minutes off, that'll be good. And so went out and I could definitely feel the fatigue in my legs, uh, as we got into the race. I mean, certainly later in the race, especially, but I was able to maintain a pretty consistent pace the entire race. And, and really I didn't even pay attention to my watch most of the race. Usually in races, I would hit the mile, every mile marker and do a split on my watch. What I decided to do for this race was partly just to have fun with it, but also to sort of take my mind off of the pressure of, of the time was do a split every five miles instead. And so I knew the number, I knew the overall goal that I had for the race and I knew what number I had to hit for each of the five mile splits. And I really ran by feel for the most part in the race and just sort of hit the split, see where I was at. And for the most part, I was right on it. And uh, got into the last, you know, mile or so recognizing that I was about to cut another three minutes or so off of my, my PR, or I guess it was two minutes, um, which was pretty crazy. Um, you know, just 
four weeks removed from from running one. And so I ended up running it, I think it right on 253 in Indianapolis and uh, was pretty high the rest of the day after that experience. And then the next morning I hopped on a plane to go to Hawaii. <laughs> now, the most important question is, how did you feel in Hawaii for your honeymoon? Were you able to do all your honeymoon activities? Like you're in Hawaii. That's where I had my honeymoon. We went hiking, you know, you get up at dawn, go see the sunrise on Haleakala. I'm not sure what island you were on, but um, were you able to do all these important things? Yeah. I, again, I, I was, so we flew out, I think at 6am the next morning. I was up at 4am. I don't know how I was doing this, but I, I was awake the entire flight. I was up until 8pm Hawaii time. And to your point, we did hiking. We uh, hiked some beautiful trails on the Nepali coast on Kauai. And uh, yeah, I, <laughs> it was, it was probably one of the best spans of my life that, that I've ever had. It was, you know, get married uh, late September, run two PRs in the marathon right after, and then spend two weeks in Hawaii. So it was great. Yeah, that sounds pretty great to me. You, you must have had a really good training plan, which is why you felt so good. Exactly. <laughs> well, and, I, and I should say too, and I, I didn't mention this, I mean, you were asking about, and I think this will really, you know, spoiler, I, I ended up getting into Boston uh, for 2022. I actually had to apply while I was in Hawaii. So that's another connection there. Um, and this will come into some of the training that we did for Boston. Um, but the, the strength work really, you know, is critical too. I mean, you talk about it all the time, how heavy lifting really, you know, obviously plays such an important role in, in not just building strength, but really building that protective cushion around you, so to speak of, you know, helping to make sure your tendons, your joints, all the connective tissues are working properly and ready for the pain and pounding that you're going to put yourself through. Yeah, for sure. I think if you're someone who's going to run a bunch of marathons, you know, you're going to be a two, maybe three marathoner per year and you're not doing any strength training, you're just playing with fire and you're, you're flirting with injury, you know, every time you go out there for a big workout or a big long run, just because you're asking so much on your body. Now, do you reuse the training plan that we worked on for Boston 2022? Uh, do you make any modifications to it? Not really. It was basically the same plan that you had put together um, for the previous year. I think the, the the only change that I made, I think, and I mentioned this to you when we were, you know, shooting emails back and forth before this this call. I really put an emphasis on being diligent about hitting every single workout and every single run that was on that plan. I mean, in the past, I've missed a day or here or there, and and you've talked before about it's it's okay to have the training plan written in pencil. Things changed, but given Boston, given that it's been almost an eight year journey to, to get to this point, since I sort of had that initial dream of rate running it, it was like, I want to put as much into this as possible. Cause I don't know if I'll have the opportunity to run it again. And so I really, I th and I think this is the first time ever in a training block that I hit every single day, every day is crossed out which was awesome. But I think on top of that, I really focused on lifting as part of this because I live in a very flat city and the lifting did help to just build some strength. Um, and, and obviously, you know, get that protective, uh, you know, just help with that sort of joint and tissue protection. The other thing that I did, and I, while it's a flat city, I do live around an area where there are some hills. There's a really beautiful cemetery that I live near that has, some good undulation. And so even if I was doing just an easy six or seven mile run that there was no workout that was part of it, I would try to incorporate as many hills as I could. And sometimes that meant running loops around the same place, you know, and, you know, for the entirety of the run, even on a long run, um, I would sometimes do a 20 miler and I'd run the same loop, you know, six or seven times. And, and really, I think that gets down to, you know, as you're, and, and I've, you know, I've heard this from you. I've heard this from other, you know, reading, you know, running books that you need to train for the race that you're running. And with Boston, the nature of the course, you know, it's, it's undulation, but also it's, you know, notorious, you know, notorious, you know, kind of fit mile 16 to 21. I just want to be as prepared as I could be. And so trying to incorporate that strategic focus into the runs as much as possible, really, and helped get me to a point where I was as prepared for the hills as, as possible. 
Yeah, I think what I'm hearing is that you were you were building strength in two different ways. And that was very helpful for Boston because, you know, Boston's a very hilly course and it's not necessarily the hills that make it hard. It's the distribution of the hills. It's the early downhills. It's the huge uphills coming right when you're starting to get really tired between 16 and 21. And then the bigger downhills in the last five miles or so of the race, you know, those hit you at a time where you know, to the uninitiated, you might think that, hey, this is a good thing. Now when I'm tired, I have this downhill, but you really can't run that much faster on a downhill when your legs feel like ground beef. You know, you just can't really get some speed underneath you. And it just makes it a much more uncomfortable race when you're trying to run hard down a hill on pavement and your legs are really struggling. So I like that you are building strength in two different ways. Number one, you are lifting heavy weight. Uh, you recognize that you live in a mostly flat area. You can't do a bunch of hill workouts, you know, some of those long hill climbs that might be really helpful. And instead, you built strength in the gym. But then you also were doing, you know, what I like to call a roller coaster run, where you're just experiencing a lot of uphills and downhills, but it's not a formal workout. And I think this is a really helpful strategy, not just for people preparing for hilly races. But I think it's helpful for injury prone runners. And this is a strategy I used in my own running for a very long time where I would do something just like you would do. I would go to an area where there was a good hill and maybe there were two ways to run up the hill and two ways to run down the hill. And I would just go up and down for, you know, whatever number of miles I was running that day, just running the short way up, then the long way, then the long way down and just trying to experience as much vertical gain and loss as I could. And I think all of that is really helpful in building strength. You know, the hills, you know, sort of like, as Frank Shorter said, they're speed in disguise, but they also do build a lot of strength and you don't necessarily have to do them as, uh, as, as a formal hill workout. Now you went into Boston with a 253 PR and that was at a very fast, flat course. You go to Boston, it's a more difficult course. What was your finish time? 252.30. So you got about a 30-ish second improvement. Yeah, which, um, <laughs> which you know, frankly, I, uh, it shocked me. Uh, I, you know, I think I went, I went into the race really with kind of ABC goals. I mean, my goal you know, now is to, I, I want to be able to break 250. And so that was kind of the, the stretch goal. I knew it would be tough going into Boston to hit that, just one being the first time. Um, but two, just, it's, it's a, it's a tough course. So my second goal was really to set a PR that, that the goal was to let, let's at least get something that's going to, that'll be, you know, a PR. I mean, that'd be sort of really cool to be able to set that at Boston. And then the, the C goal was, let's just break three hours at, at Boston too. Cause I mean, I think that's a lot of runners goals to, to be able to run a BQ on the Boston course. And so, um, to be able to at least hit the beagle was honestly was beyond my wildest dreams. And so it's, it was a really, I mean, as, as so many, I'm sure listeners who ran that day, it was, uh, it was near perfect, uh, you know, perfect 50 degrees. The sun was shining. It was, uh, my, I had a friend of mine who ran in 2018 and I sent him a picture while we were around on Boylston street and he looked at the sky, it was clear blue. And obviously, you know, for those who know, 2018 was the, the year Des Linden won in torrential downpour. And he just said, he's like, you're not getting the true Boston experience. So I will, t- if that's not the true Boston experience, I'll take it every year. Yeah. I don't know if you actually want the real Boston experience where it's either going to be 90 degrees or 40 with torrential downpours. Either way, it's, it's always kind of a, a mixed bag with what you might get at the Boston Marathon. Now, are you going to run another marathon this year? That's the plan. I've got Chicago in the fall, kind of as my uh, my my next race, uh, you know. And, and we'll see. I, I I'm kind of tempted. Just Chicago, I feel like has been kind of a crapshoot here. Um, well, I guess I should back up. I'm running a half marathon next week, so <laughs> uh, so it's uh, it's going to be my first half in a couple of years. Um, just obviously given the pandemic, so I'm excited about that because uh, you know, and I know you talk so much about the shorter races, and I get that this is not necessarily dropping down to a 5K, but I'm excited to sort of see you know how much I can cut off of my my half PR right now, which is I think right around a 121 or 122 somewhere in there. So. 
I'm excited about that. Um, but Chicago will be the next full marathon and I still may sign up for, for the one here in Indianapolis, um, in November, just because again, it's a little bit more dependable in terms of the, the weather. And it's a, it's a, it's a fun course to run and convenient as it goes right by my house. So what do you think are the big avenues for improvement for you? Because one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, and, and I think your story is just so interesting, is because you experienced all this progress, not just when you first started running, you know, you, you ran a pretty good first marathon in about 340, and then started chopping some decent time off of that. But you've been able to keep improving even at these levels. You know, you went from 308 to 255 to 253 to 252. And it gets harder and harder and harder to take more time off of your any race time, the more competitive you get. So I'm curious what you think are some of the opportunities in front of you for continued improvement. Yeah, you know, I think from sort of taking a cue from even what you've talked about in the past, last year, sort of in the inner, I guess it would have been in the lead up to starting Chicago training, I tried to start doing a little bit more you know, those shorter race training workouts. So going out and doing 400s or even 200s um, to try and start to build that speed. You know, I, I don't, I, I don't have any 5Ks or those types of races, you know, that I've signed up for, but I think focusing on those types of workouts are, are certainly one, I think it just provides additional variety. I mean, I think it's, you know, if you eat the same food all the time, you're eventually going to get tired of it. And I think kind of adding an additional layer of, of workouts and just different speeds, you know, it's a lot of fun going fast and training more at that anaerobic versus the, you know, it's kind of the longer aerobic type workouts. So I think that's kind of one thing I think as I start to head back into the marathons training cycle, uh, later this summer, um, I, again, I think the focus on consistency, that's, that's just, that's kind of the key thing for me, that's been really important. And, and it's really difficult, obviously, for, and you know, you know this, and so many you know listeners will as well, that to be able to really see that improvement, you have to have the dedication and the, the investment of time, energy to, to see that out, which is a lot of hard work. But when you get to the end and, and, and see that progress, it, it's addicting. And so I think going into the summer, it's just, it's going to be more of that consistency, but then really trying to push it a little bit more. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know that I would change up a whole lot in the way of the, how the workouts and the strategy of what the, the race in, or the, the race plan entails, but it's really trying to sort of continue, you know, whether it's a, uh, you know, the, the tempo run, I think when we originally started talking, my tempo run was supposed to be, you know, about, you know, six ten or six fifteen maybe per mile. But thinking, okay, can I drop it down to a 605 or even six minute miles? Um, so I think just trying to find those ways to continually challenge myself and, and push the bar out further. Because um, I know that time is limited being uh, 34 for progress to be made. And so, or maybe not, um, but, but, you know, just realizing that it's, it's not guaranteed that, that these gains will continue, continue to come. Yeah, but I, I think there's still so much opportunity for you. I feel like you've only recently started running really competitive marathons. And the fact that you haven't run too many other shorter races tells me that there is a lot of other opportunity out there. You know, that's very encouraging to me because, you know, usually I'm always looking at comparable race times or equivalent race performances. And, you know, if you've run a 252 marathon, you know, you're someone who's not going to have your 5k PR be 34 minutes, you know, like there's a certain scale that kind of goes along with all these races. And if you can get some of your other race times faster over the course of, you know, this spring and this summer, you're going to really set yourself up for uh, a really good Chicago coming up. Not to mention that I think one of the best ways to kind of keep pushing things forward is, okay, if my PR is on a very difficult course, now let me run an easy course, a course that is flat and fast. And that's low hanging fruit that allows you to, uh, you know, really take advantage of the course. Well, I think that's just, I, I'm, I'm just a little greedy now. Um, you know, having run the race in, in Boston and, and been able to run as strongly as I did, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of gotten chomping at the bit for, for a flatter course and, and really just to kind of let it all hang out and just see, see how it goes. And, and, and 
hopefully, you know, hit that sub 250. Um, Cause that's, you know, I think going, you know, 240, whatever is, is something to, to obviously be proud about. And, and, you know, something that again, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have dreamed being possible. Yeah. I would definitely recommend running a half marathon sometime May, June, somewhere in that time frame, and really set a goal of trying to get under 80 minutes. So that 120 mark is is, re- is a really important milestone for two reasons, I think. Number one, if you get under an hour and 20 and a half, I'm fairly confident that you could run a sub 250 marathon if you do the required training for it. And number two, I think it's a huge psychological boost. I sort of think of it similar to the sub three marathon, where as soon as you you run 259, all of a sudden you're all excited about your marathoning and you just want to keep improving. You want to run another marathon. You're just so enamored with yourself because you've run a sub three marathon. It's a huge accomplishment. And I think running a sub 80 minute half marathon is in the same league of equivalent performances. And, and I think it's a huge psychological boost. You're just going to feel so confident after running that it's going to give you that indication that your training is moving in the right direction. And, you know, from our conversation, one of the things that stands out for me is, is the mental side of all this. You know, you have been someone who's sort of, you know, sort of like me when we, when I first started running, I got addicted on progress. I thought it was amazing that, wow, I can run this time in this race. And then a week later, I can run just a little bit faster. And it just unlocks this arena of possibilities in your mind where you just start thinking, what is possible if I just keep improving? And it's almost like you're, you're dealing with compound interest or you know the, the snowballing of an investment or something like that. It's very exciting to see your, your fitness grow like that. So Brent, I'm really excited for you. You've had kind of a couple years of just you being on a tear, running great races. Uh, I think if you can stay healthy, if you can stay driven and, and really into the sport still, if you can stay really motivated, I think you're going to keep improving and, and still keep running great marathons for a long time to come. No, I really appreciate it. I mean, it's, it's amazing how once you get the flywheel going and, you know, the more you run, the faster you get, the faster you get, the more you can run and, and also the, the less likely you are to get hurt. I mean, it's, it's been really interesting to sort of see just that positive feedback loop. And I, again, I appreciate all the help and guidance you gave me along the way. Oh, of course. Well, Brent, this has been really inspiring, motivating, as I think, especially for those runners who think they've might've hit a plateau in the marathon. So if you have hit a plateau, I hope this not only kind of gave you a kick in the pants, but it also gave you some ideas on all of the next steps that you can take in your training to keep improving. So best of luck this year, Brent. And thanks again for sharing your story on the podcast today. Awesome. Thanks, Jason. All right. Thanks for listening, my friends. If you found value in this episode, I would so appreciate a review in Apple Music or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you love this podcast, please consider supporting our sponsors who help make it possible. Inside Tracker is a company that I've been working with for years, and I hope to continue for years to come. They're one of the most reputable personal blood testing companies that you can find. Their goal is to help you analyze your body's biomarkers like stress hormones, testosterone, vitamin D, sex hormones, mineral levels, and more. And using your personal data, they create optimal ranges for each of these biomarkers. So if you're outside of your optimal zone, they have an ultra-personalized nutrition platform that gives you science-backed suggestions for moving into your preferred zones. This helps you avoid any health problems, optimize your training, improve your performances, and reduce your injury risk. I've personally gotten three ultimate tests myself, and the process is simple, it's easy, and it's very eye-opening. They also have at-home testing, which only takes about 15 minutes. Go to insidetracker.com strengthrunning to see how you can get 25% off site-wide on any personalized blood test that they offer. Of all the purchases you can make with your running, this one can actually improve your performances. It's a great opportunity to see what's going on in your body. And you can see all those details at insidetracker.com slash strength running. Also, don't miss the environmentally friendly sun care products from Tanry Outdoors at tanry.com. Code Jason will save you 10% off anything in their store. Now, a lot of you know that I live in Denver, Colorado. Here in the Mile High City, the sun is amazingly strong. I've never experienced anything like it outside of tropical places near the equator. 
And even though putting on sunscreen is something I loathe, I've had to make it a habit every day at these altitudes. Tannery Outdoors offers clean sun care products that were made by runners for runners. They have SPF lip balms, post-sun moisturizers that replenish all the moisture and hydration your skin loses when being exposed to the sun on those longer runs. All their products are reef safe, never tested on animals, and in sustainable packaging. Protect the planet while you protect your skin. It's a win-win. Plus, their lip balms and sunscreen is sweat and waterproof for 80 minutes. And they just released a new traditional sunscreen and have another product dropping soon. You can check everything out at tannery.com. That's T-A-N-R-I.com. And use code Jason to save 10% off on your next order. All right. Thanks for being here, my friends. Don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions and we'll be in touch soon.